Hello and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of November 23rd, Holiday Sales. I'm your host, Dan Creeder, here with Dan Belton, as we discuss the recent move wider in credit spreads, as well as our expectations for the rest of the year. Finally, we touch on the recent move wider in swap spreads, what's driving them, and what to expect going forward. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creeter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Well, Dan, the title of our episode today is Holiday Sales, a reference to both our expectation for heavy corporate supply following Thanksgiving, as well as our expectation for some potentially discounted pricing in corporate bonds between now and the end of the year. And both of those factors, I think, were put on full display last week. Yeah, Dan, last week we had $56.5 billion in gross issuance in high-grade corporates. That was the third heaviest week of supply this year, which is no small feat considering this is the second heaviest year of supply on record. And to your point about discounted pricing, we saw that elevated supply lead to some secondary market weakness. So in primary markets, we had elevated new issue concessions of about four and a half basis points. That's up from the year-to-date average of one basis point. Order book coverage slipped to about two and a half down from the year-to-date average of three times. And spreads on the index level had their worst week of performance since the week ending March 9th, widening about four basis points. And even though there's some event risk on the horizon and the supply calendar is going to be really heavy going into year end, it seems like issuers are still bent on getting this supply priced while rates and spreads are still more or less constructive this year. Yeah, I think the worst week at index level being a four basis point widening really speaks to just how stable things have been in credit. I mean, we've been in an 11 basis point range since the end of Q1. We are now today on the Bloomberg Barclays Index at 91 basis points. That is the high point of the 11 basis point range. So we have had some underperformance, but still from a broad level, spreads remain pretty narrow here. And even after a losing streak of two weeks, up until yesterday, spreads had not moved narrower on the index for two consecutive weeks. We're still within that range. So I guess the question is, is this just a bit of a technically driven blip on the radar where spreads just naturally move wider in response to very heavy supply? Or is it in line with what we've been talking about in the podcast and our written work for the past few weeks, an expectation of a move to a slightly higher trading plateau in credit spreads into the end of the year and into 2022, just reflecting more risk factors out there and less accommodation from both monetary and fiscal authorities going forward? I mean, I still think it's the latter on that, but maybe to start our conversation today, we can look at spreads with the same lens we typically do. We like to look at spreads from three different vantage points, technicals, macro outlook, and as well as fundamentals. And I think you could look at all three of those and say that the near-term path, according to all three, might be for further widening. So I think just given the supply we've talked about so far today, technicals is a good place to start the conversation. You already sort of did. You talked about how despite maybe a less than supportive environment for corporate supply, bonds keep coming to market. And I think you hit the nail right on the head that 
there is this desire to place debt now ahead of what's shaping up to be a pretty important FOMC meeting with uncertainty regarding the path of interest rates going forward. So issuers will hit the market where they can. Now, this week, it's not really shaping up that way. Yeah, so expectations for supply this week were $8 billion, which is pretty strong, actually, for Thanksgiving week. It would be the heaviest week since 2014. And we obviously haven't gotten that through the first couple of days. I think President Biden's announcement of Chair Powell's reappointment took some wind out of the sails of potential deals announced yesterday, just given the move higher in rates. But it does seem like expectations are for next week to continue to be heavy. I mentioned last week's $56.5 billion, unseasonally heavy for November. So there does seem to be this rush, and I think that's only going to be exacerbated by some comments from Fed officials that we'll probably talk about in the next section of this podcast. Typically, we only see about $42 billion price after Thanksgiving in the year. I think we'll get more than that this year, just given how much of a rush there seems to be, how much momentum there is in primary markets. Yeah. And so I think we can just kind of throw this week away. We are seeing evidence of fatigue on the buy side. What little supply has come this week has seen even weaker demand metrics than what you talked about at the top. Like You don't want to make too much out of just a couple of deals, but clearly we have some fatigue on the buy side. It's thinner staff just naturally given the holiday week. So the fact that this week's going to fall short of expectations does nothing to change our expectation that we're going to see heavy supply between Thanksgiving and you know the unofficial end of the year following the December FOMC meeting. And it may not be a supportive environment for that supply. I guess we can sort of shift the conversation now to the macro side of things. And if we're going to talk about macro, I think the conversation really has to center around the December FOMC meeting. It's certainly the largest event left on the calendar this year and could end up being one of the more important Fed meetings in both recent memory and going forward. Yeah. So I think it's been made a lot more important given recent comments from Fed officials about the potential for speeding up this pace of tapering. We had Richard Clarita on the tape on Friday, mentioning that it might be appropriate at the December meeting to reconsider the pace of asset purchases. Since then, we've had other regional Fed presidents saying the same type of thing. So there is a possibility that the Fed's going to accelerate its pace of tapering of asset purchases. I think we'd need to see some more guidance on that front over the next two weeks. The blackout period begins in about a week and a half. So the Fed would have ostensibly next week to really start to message that more strongly. I don't think it's in the base case that the Fed is going to accelerate the pace of tapering at the December meeting, but it certainly is possible. It just would require some more guidance, I think. Yeah, we're obviously going to have the November jobs report by then as well, which could further inform expectations for whether or not the Fed will move to accelerate tapering. Personally, this is not something I was expecting at all. I, I would have given it like a 0% probability as recently as two weeks ago, but clearly that's not correct. There is some chance that this is going to happen. And, you know, whether or not it actually does, hard to say. I still lean no, but looking at the December FMC meeting sort of holistically for credit spreads, it's really hard to paint a picture where risk is going to perform well coming out of that meeting. I mean, you have really a binary outcome regarding the tapering of asset purchases. If they do accelerate tapering, I think the feed through and spreads is pretty clear. That's going to be risk off. I mean, a, a hawkish Fed moving against inflation, that's certainly going to pull forward more expectations for rate hikes, and it's a clear credit negative. But now let's even assume that the Fed sticks to its transitory guns here, doesn't adjust the tapering pace for now, and continues to insist that inflation will sort of drop on its own. Well, in that case, I would think we would expect to see break-evens moving higher and more fear that the Fed is behind the inflation curve, which would also not really be good for spreads. Dan, paint me a picture for a December FMC that is met with spread narrowing. 
Yeah, it's tough. It's definitely a double-edged sword here. I think, like you said, the Fed could come off as risking its credibility or potentially expectations of the Fed making a policy error could increase given a too dovish statement at the December FOMC. So I think really they would have to do something similar to what they did in November, which is a sort of dovish hold again, where they come out and they acknowledge the elevated inflation risks. They continue to put a date out there for next year saying that we think inflationary pressures are going to dissipate sometime in the first half of next year, in the second quarter of next year. That would allow them to convey to the market that they are watching inflation. And if it does continue to exceed their expectations from a time perspective, then they would start to change their reaction function. But for them to, at the same time, reiterate that the current pace of tapering is what they'll do at least for the next couple months until there is some further unexpected upward pressure on inflation. That, to me, is sort of the narrow – we've talked a lot about the Goldilocks scenario with respect to the economic recovery. It's not too different here. They have to kind of thread the needle with respect to the risks to inflation but maintaining policy on this course that they're on right now. Yeah, I mean they could also try to send a message, I guess, through the SCP. We will have dots coming out. They could play with the rate hike dots or even the inflation dots, inflation expectations to sort of try to present a more hawkish stance on inflation without actually changing the pace of asset purchases. But I think, you know, high level what you said is right. They can continue to thread the needle. And even if they do, that to me represents nothing more than a neutral outcome for risk. It's not going to be a sudden relief rally or something. It would just be more of the same range-bound trading condition. So even if we take the FOMC meeting in December as a neutral sign for credit, there is still a debt ceiling deadline that we're going to have to be dealing with in early to mid-December. I mean, we all expect that will get taken care of, but it is certainly a risk factor that weighs on the market, at least until there is a permanent solution. So you have a neutral at best macro outlook, I think, for the remainder of the year. Alongside our expectation, the technicals will not be supportive, both on the demand side, just given where we are in the year, as well as our expectation for heavy supply. And then fundamentals, which we can transition to now, is really the third leg of our outlook on spreads. And on the fundamental side, really the story of the year has been that's one of, if not the most important factor driving credit spread narrowing this year has been fundamentals. Earnings have been pretty much pristine across the board. There's not much we can say other than that. And obviously, earnings are expected to stay strong going forward. My question to you, though, is are earnings peaking here? Or in other words, have we seen the strongest of the tailwinds on the fundamental side? And going forward, they might start to slow a little bit. And so on a stock versus flow basis, if you will here, the tailwind that you're getting from fundamentals may start to cool off and lead to potentially some degree of spread widening. Yeah, I think that certainly is the case here. We're also seeing that in some sense from base effects to the year-over-year growth in earnings has been astronomical recently. That has probably peaked. So we had earnings grow by about 38% from last year in the third quarter, revenue growth of about 17%. That's certainly going to slow in the next few quarters as the depths of the pandemic roll out of that year-over-year window. But as you know, the market doesn't price to past earnings, it prices to future earnings. And that's definitely going to moderate here as we move further away from the pandemic. Of course, creditworthiness, some of those metrics remain very strong. Net leverage 
This just as of this quarter dipped below levels seen before the pandemic. So net debt to EBITDA fell below three for the median borrower in the IG index. That's pretty noteworthy just given how much of a run up in leverage we saw at the beginning of the pandemic that we're now below end of 2019 levels. I think that's worth talking about. Interest coverage ratios given the improvement in earnings and the reduction in interest rates. Interest coverage ratios are now the best that we've seen since 2014, 2015. But from an earnings perspective, like you mentioned, some of the analyst revisions are starting to look more moderate than they have been at any point in the past year or so. We're just going to move away from this rapid, rapid growth in our earnings to something more normal like we saw in the years following the financial crisis. Yeah, you touched on the equity analyst revisions. That's down to post-pandemic lows, not low from a historical perspective, but the lows we've had in this cycle. We've obviously seen a parade of corporate executives coming out talking about the potential impact of higher input prices and higher employee costs on the bottom line going forward. And you even talked about the strength of balance sheets. I mean, yes, that's undeniably a good thing, but also arguably paves the way for more issuance, right? That feeds into our projection for more debt going forward is that balance sheets are now healthier. So you could start to see some more investment into the business to try to lever up a little bit and maintain profits. Even if you're going to have a lower profit margin, you know, more leverage, you can keep earnings at least steady. So that does imply to me that, again, another reason things supply will remain heavy, but Also, looking just more specifically at Q3, looking at the drivers of those earnings that were, again, undeniably good, but looking a little bit deeper, perhaps they weren't as sustainable going forward. Yeah. So with respect to how earnings have performed in this high inflationary environment, we looked at the development in corporate profit margins, and we saw that profit margins were actually little changed year to date. They are maybe modestly improved at the index level. We have seen a notable improvement in operating margins, which tends to generally move fairly closely in line with profit margins. But this divergence we've seen in operating margins outperforming profit margins, when we really dig a little bit deeper into that, we see that the cause for improvement in operating margins is due primarily to a reduction in other operating expenses, which is really more of a one-off feature in corporate earnings, not something that reflects, say, an increased efficiency that's going to be sustained on a longer-term basis, but it's really due to pandemic-related and other unrelated things such as M&A and other write-offs of losses, things that we don't think are sources of sustainable gains in operating margins. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves in the next couple quarters. But I think there's reason to expect that operating margins, even though they've seen a temporary boost this year, they should come back down more in line with where profit margins are, which is little changed this year amidst the high inflation. But then if we do see a reduction in consumer sentiment or a reduction in just the strength of the consumer, it might become harder for corporations to pass through these higher prices to the consumer. Yeah. So just to put a bottom line on it, again, we're not saying that earnings are going to drop drastically from here, but there is a pretty compelling argument supported by what you just talked about with savings on the expense side that may not be sustainable into the future that Earnings and earnings momentum may have actually peaked here in the third quarter. So going forward, earnings may not be as strong a tailwind. You combine that with a 
neutral or negative outlook on the macro side of things and undeniably negative technicals. And you still have a pretty bearish view on credit spreads, at least between now and the end of the year, especially with the huge supply of January looming. So I wouldn't be surprised to see spreads continuing just to leak wider here in the course of the next couple of weeks when supply does return post Thanksgiving and meets tepid demand. You know, I'm not talking about a, a major widening in credit spreads, anything not orderly, but getting close to the 100 basis point level in early 2022 certainly seems doable to me. Yeah. And that's where we were at the beginning of the year. I think spreads year to date have been in this 80 basis points to 100 basis points range. I do think that's going to hold through the year, but I wouldn't be surprised to see us get up to about 95 basis points or so by the end of the year. And the risk to that might even be wider. I mean, if the Fed comes out and actually adjusts its pace of tapering, I think you could see a more volatile move in credit spreads because that is confirmation that the Fed is not going to be as patient regarding inflation as maybe we thought or maybe they've implied so far. And, and I think there is no sugarcoating that for credit spreads. I think they have to widen if we're going to really see the Fed take that step and really meaningfully pull forward expectations for the path of liftoff. Yeah. And it seems like there's a lot of credit investors who are on the same page as us, and they've been wary of adding positions for the past couple of months. Now, given these valuations, given high inflation and a potential for the Fed to maybe move quicker than the market had been pricing, it's possible that we're going to see that play out. Okay. Well, I think, Dan, with what time we have remaining on the podcast today, I wanted to at least touch on the move in swap spreads, particularly the short end of the curve, because it has been pretty dramatic here over the past month. We've seen short end spreads, we'll just say two-year spreads here, widen around 17 basis points are so volatile. I think today spreads are in like three basis points. So there's a lot more volatility, but generally short end spreads in the two-year sector, 17 basis points wider, talking about LIBOR swap spreads here. And I just want to talk about some of that move and what's really driving it. So I guess the place to start with our discussion on LIBOR swap spreads is just the cost of funding component of it, because we've seen some widening in the Frau OAS complex over the past month. I think the drivers there are pretty clear, just a more hawkish Fed. We've talked about regulation, increased regulation in our previous episodes. Brandon obviously isn't going to be the new vice chair of supervision. She took the vice chair of the Federal Reserve role, so we don't know who the vice chair of supervision is going to be. But the expectation is it will be someone pretty hawkish on the regulatory front. I mean, Brainerd is still on the board and in a very influential position. So I think the path of regulation is going to be undeniably more hawkish, which has led to uh, widening the Frau OAS complex. So a couple factors there. But when you look at what the widening in Frau OAS has meant for the fair value of two-year LIBOR swap spreads, the Frau OAS widening has been worth about seven basis points, five to seven basis points out of 17. So that leaves us with you know, more than half being attributable to something else. And that's something else, if we look a little closer, has been a somewhat eye-opening move in SOFR swap spreads. Looking now, again, just at the two-year sector, SOFR swap spreads are nine to 10 basis points wider over the course of the past four to six weeks. And that's something that's you know, really sort of surprising given what SOFR swap spreads are. I mean, they're really sort of just a treasury OIS measure right now, a measure of demand for treasuries. And we've seen that widen 10 basis points. Maybe that's a bit counterintuitive as we're seeing things like weak auction statistics coming in, all these reports of the short base and even specials in the two-year sector in October. It seems like there's a lot of people short. So how do we reconcile that view with 10 basis points widening in SOFR swap spreads, which seems to imply heavy demand for treasuries. Yeah, and we've seen a similar move in Treasury OIS. I guess when you're looking at it optically, it's the reverse move. But treasuries are moving richer to the short rate complex, I guess. And like you said, it's a little bit counterintuitive, just given that it seems optically like there is a weakness in demand for treasuries. You've had the front end really get crushed over the past couple of months. But as rates move higher, 
there is still a strong bid for short end treasury paper. And I think that's been particularly true for all in yield buyers as the U.S. rates complex moves higher, particularly given foreign alternatives. And then even if you look at credit, credit spreads are very rich. Equity prices are near all time highs. Short on treasuries are not an unattractive product here. And I think that's been an important reason for this widening in front end swap spreads. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. If we're dealing with an environment that maybe doesn't look very supportive from a macro perspective, particularly with inflationary concerns raging, where do you want to be right now if you're a fixed income investor? Do you want to be in 10-year treasuries? I mean, given how flat the curve is, that could theoretically steepen out if inflation is going to take off here. I, it's not what we're expecting, but you know, real yields in the 10-year sector and the long end in general are just so low right now. And you've had this back up at the short end. Maybe you just want to go into the short end of the curve. That gives you some cover if, if things crack, if credit rolls over, if the market starts to decline. You've got some potential for outperformance there at the short end of the curve as those rate hikes price out. It's just we've heard the euphemism Tina many times in stocks. Well, in the fixed income market, maybe – Tina applies a bit to the short end of the curve here. So the next question really becomes for the spread aspect of things, when can we expect this to change? Well, I think we've seen some of that already happening this morning. It's unclear if that narrowing is going to be sustainable, but I think we are starting to reach some pretty extreme levels. So two-year SOFR swap spreads touched as high as six basis points yesterday. They're in about four basis points today, but you know that spread should remain theoretically fairly close to zero, if not negative. I mean, it was negative 10 basis points a year ago. So I think as we get to these extreme levels, I don't expect that to persist for too long. Yeah, looking at the historical chart of SOFR swaps, and actually before 2019, they have to be sort of indicative. Obviously, SOFR didn't exist then. So it's it's pretty much just a Fed funds proxy used for SOFR going that far back. But looking at the chart, there are two things that really stand out. First, we are at an outsized move here. You know, being positive four to six basis points, like you said yesterday, is about as high as they've ever gotten. And the second thing that jumps out is we tend to see widening in this basis at this point in the cycle. So you look back at 2014, the last time spreads got this wide was 2014 and early 2017. We had the Fed normalizing after QE3 in 2014, and we saw SOFR swap spreads get this wide again. And then in 2017, post-money market reform, we saw SOFR swap spreads widen into positive territory. So this has happened before at times that are at least roughly similar to this. So it's not, I guess, overly surprising from that vantage point, but you're near the all-time highs in the last 10 years. Actually, you're, you're pretty much at arbitrage levels here. I mean, positive so for swap spreads is, it's not the most profitable trade of all times. So I don't think people are gonna be like putting this on in, in massive volume, but it's almost arbitrage profit now for a positive so for swap spread. And so I'm with you. I think we are maybe getting to the point where swap spreads are reaching local highs. I don't know that I think that we're gonna see a sudden collapse in swap spreads or front end swap spreads by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think that, but I do think we could be getting to levels here where we're reaching extreme levels. I think year-end may be playing at least a minor part in this, the disappearance of balance sheet at the end of the year, particularly when we just had two-year treasuries trading super, super special in repo. I think that there are some year-end mechanics here that could be playing a role. So coming into the new year, once year-end balance sheet concerns, even though they're lower this year, they're still there. Once they're gone, I think you could start to see some relief at the short end there. So I think now wouldn't be a terrible time to try to take advantage of that if 
that's going to be swap spread narrowers at the front of the curve or maybe steepeners or even just looking at just carry trades maybe at the short end that would benefit from some moves lower in both SOFR and LIBOR swap spreads. I don't hate that now, or at least in the future weeks going forward, for any trades you are going to do, looking at the current level of swap spreads is maybe sort of as high as we're going to get here for the time being. Anything I missed, Dan? No, I think that covers it. Thanks for listening. Have a very happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 